Welcome back to the Fully Express podcast. I'm your host, Christina Rowland, and I am so excited to introduce today's guest. Today, we have Quinton Q. Williams. He is a men's mental performance coach and one of my dear friends and fellow colleagues in the men's coaching space. I have learned so much from Q. He's one of the first people that I was like, I need to pick your brain. I want to work with men. Help me do this. Help me make it happen. Tell me everything you know. And he graciously uh, uh embraced me in the space and has been someone that I look up to and cherish my relationship with ever since. So, so excited for y'all to hear from him. Welcome, Q. Thank you so much for the warm welcome, Christina. I'm so excited to be here. And, um, you know, you and I go go back and like, I'm just excited to chop it up because there's so much to talk about. <laughs> yeah, there really is. There really is. Cool. Well, let's start off with you telling us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, um, where do I start? Um, I, haven't, I haven't done a podcast in a while. I used to do so many. Um, and I tell my story differently every time, it feels like. Um, just kind of, the, you know, the man's journey. Um, but I was a two-sport athlete all my life. And, um, you know, when I think back to who I was before being a two-sport athlete, you know, going into college, playing in the Big Ten, playing in the Big House and all these different stadiums across the country, uh, eventually winning, winning a Gator Bowl and getting a great education at Northwestern. Uh, before all that, before I was even an athlete, I was like a six-year-old. And I remember like being a really artistic kid, being a really um, fun kid, always knowing that I was unique. I, I always just felt very unique and almost strange. Or I always had this like weird vision like I was going to be president of the United States for some reason. Like I just felt like I wanted to to have some sort of big responsibility in the world. Um, and when sports caught a hold of me, I remember, you know, the first time I realized I was good at sports um, was when like the coaches started surrounding me at the first practice I was ever at. And they were like, hey, Quentin, you got a pretty good arm. And I was like, oh, interesting. <laughs> and I feel like my life kind of changed from then. You know, like I started gaining this sort of acknowledgement. I got acknowledgement that I knew I, I had something special within me that I think we all do, like some sort of fire, some sort of gift, but it was like being acknowledged outside of me in some way. And, you know, I think for me, being an athlete, I, I coach a lot of athletes myself, uh, especially in the transition. Um, I think that sometimes we can get our identity caught up as men in what we do and forget about who we are, like who that spark is. And so, you know, I always tried to not consider myself a jock and, and just be like, you know, an athlete, and I had all these passions and things that I loved outside of sports. But at the end of the day, I was an athlete. And when it came down to transitioning outside of, out, out of sports, um, you know, when I was 23, I realized that a lot of men like me didn't have a lot of the tools that were necessary to really transition powerfully, really own their identity as a man. And of course, we saw, we see the fallout of that. Um, in the CTE and concussion crisis in a lot of football players. I was a football and baseball player in college. Um, and so, you know, I, I, would, I would turn on the news and, you know, every other month you'd see a new case of someone taking their own life. And I saw, I saw it and I thought to myself, like, this is deeper than some brain disease. This is more related to how these men are showing up in their life and how they're taking care of themselves and their life beyond sports. <clears throat> and that led me to you know, becoming um, focused on the personal development space and the mindset space and helping men with their evolution as men, not just as athletes, but just, you know, as men in the world. Because 
you and I both agree on this point. Like we, we believe that men are right now, some of the most powerful people that we have that, that, that make a lot of really powerful decisions at the fortune 500 level, uh, a lot of the family levels. Right. And if I can impact change at that level, I can make a massive impact. And, um, so I'm really passionate about men's empowerment. Um, a lot of people kind of get triggered by that term though, like men's empowerment. Like, shouldn't you be focused on empowering other people? You know, coming from a white cisgendered male, like, you know, yeah. but I, I have reasons for being passionate about this. I, I think there's a lot of good that can come from focusing on these men. Yeah. I, I remember that you and I had had a conversation not too long ago, maybe a couple months ago where you actually brought up that same topic to me where you said that you had heard, um, from a prominent female coach, uh, that she had been sort of triggered or disagreed with the idea that you should uplift men and empower men. And you asked me for my take on that. And Mm -hmm. I completely disagreed. And I agreed with you (laughs) that, um, the solution to the problems quote unquote in the world is not to just completely be anti-men bash men or, or, dethrone men if you want to put it that way but it's actually to lift up their spirits because what's been happening our whole lives and and through the development of our society is that men have been propped up for what they can do rather than who they are and this has created such a huge disconnect in their spirits and their hearts and and the way that they express that in the world. And so loving men is actually the bigger solution than anything else mm-hmm. to, to me. So, yeah. Oh, man. Tell, tell anyone that they need to love men more. Like, mm, that's, that's where, like, the real work comes in. And on the flip side... Men need to love themselves more. I think we're both saying that mm-hmm. in a non-way. Yeah. They need to, men, men need to really be lifted up. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where do we go with this one? Where, where are we going? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's so many different aspects to this. But yeah, I totally agree. And I think the thing that I always say to people is that it is on the individual to work on their self-love and their self-worth and, and recognize that. And it's our job as a society to give men the room to do so. Right. Because right now, again, still men find their self-love, their self-worth based on what they do, because that's what they've been taught. And it sounds like that relates to even your journey as an athlete. Right. You found your Mm -hmm. worth and your self-love in who you were as an athlete, your your identity as an athlete. And so transitioning out of that was difficult. Right. Yeah. And and I want to highlight something the 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 word um self-worth uh for maybe some of the men listening like it it might even feel like oh that's not me you know because that that was that was my book by the way like i was like i feel worthy what are you talking about like i i don't have a worthiness problem i i'm a confident man you know what i mean like i i mean i was i'm a former athlete i'm strong i'm tall i'm handsome like i you know like i don't i don't have a self-worth problem but then i like but then I had powerful feedback given to me once because I read a reading from a journal entry that I made and it was like every other word in that journal entry, was about like my fear of like what would happen or what would happen. I fear that this would happen. I fear this would happen. Every other word in that journal entry was I'm afraid that I'm not going to have enough money, that there's not going to be enough time, that, um, 
you know, I'm not going to juice this opportunity for all it's worth. Um, that, you know, all these like paraphrases of something's not enough or something's not good enough. And then I like, I was like, oh, I flashed back to like when I was in high school and I wrote this really powerful essay that I felt like was from my heart and it ended up being like my college entry essay I used. And it was titled Never Enough. Mm. And it was like this artistic part of me that was like, I was writing, I was like, it's never enough this, it's never enough that, never enough this, never enough that. And a lot of this sort of has to do with my upbringing and the expectations that I felt as a kid. Um, and I always felt like it was never quite enough. Like there was always something more to do, something more to do, something more to fix or something else to be better at, whether it was in sports or anywhere else. And um, it was crazy. Like as I got to like the sixth page of this essay, I finally I capped it all off. And I said, I guess really when I think about it, never enough kind of is enough. Mm. It felt like this weird, like almost like ironic, poetic finish to the essay. Um, Cause it's like, in a way, if I'm always trying to get better, that's great. You know, if I'm always seeking something more, that, that, that should be a good quality, right? That's kind of how I left it off in, in high school. And I'm revisiting that now in my life. You know, I'm like 15 years later, I'm like, is that really what I think? Like, how do I really view the concept of enoughness? Um, and so I, I just, I, I say all that just to say that, you know, me as a man and, you know, outside looking in, you know, macho man, I had no idea I had a, I had a worthiness conversation going on in my head, but I always have really, you know, cause it's like, I'm never really doing enough or being enough or am enough in some sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because I also heard that, you know, all of the fears that you have, you said, you know, I won't make enough money. I won't have enough time. I won't get the most out of this opportunity. Those are really performance-based metrics too, right? So again, what you're doing rather than who you are and trying to find that worthiness in that. And I think that mm -hmm. you're spot on that a lot of men don't recognize that that is what they're doing. That is where you're coming from. Um, but I'm curious, you know, you said, how do I really define that concept of enoughness and you're exploring that now. And I wonder mm -hmm. if you have an answer to that at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's something that I take all my clients through and it's something I've really developed on my own is, uh, I call this concept of a, of a triple crown. Um, so the triple crown for me is, um, knowing what my core descriptors are, what makes me who I am. Um, essentially it's my authentic self. It's my highest self. And I think when, when I know what that is and who that is, and I can pound my chest with that and say like, you know, in any situation, no matter what I'm doing, no matter where I'm going, I can take that with me. Um, that is like the secret sauce, you know? And, and I, th I think that's where so much of our society and, you know, men, men fall victim to this too. Like we can compare ourselves so much to other people, their experiences, what they're good at, what they're not good at. But when I really come back to like who I am, I have three words that I use that I call my triple crown. I'm joyful, I'm adventurous, and I'm responsible. Now, my ego version is actually none of those. I'm actually the complete opposite. And so like <laughs> the version of me that wants to call myself unworthy, 
right? The one that wants to say that I'm never enough. That's my ego version. The authentic version of me is joyful, adventurous, and responsible. And the more I claim that, the more I remind myself of that, um, the better off I am and the more powerful I, I, I become. Because what I've learned about worthiness is that it's no one decides you're worthy. You know, of course, unless you, you believe really wholly and, and sacredly that, that God gives you worth. Um, I personally believe that like worth worthiness is a choice. It's a decision at some point, whether you believe that someone else gave it to you or not, you choose it. And for all my life, I felt like I had to reason with my choices. I had to explain my choices, explain myself. I had to explain myself through life. When really all along, if I just would have chosen, whether it be an opinion, a stance, an identity, you know, just at the end of the day, it's a, it's a choice, you know. And if who says I'm worthy? I am because I say so, you know. Yeah. And when I really come back to that, like that triple crown is so powerful because it's like um, it's it's something that all athletes use too, like most high power athletes like Russell Wilson uses this concept of like coming back to the three things that make him who he is and make him the best football player possible. He comes back to those when he's feeling stressed or feeling like nothing's going right. Like he comes back to staying balanced, keeping his eyes downfield. And he has some other like one third thing, like say, say, say focused, you know, or like three deep breaths. Um, like those three qualities of like, poise, balance, and keeping his eyes forward, those qualities make him the best that he can be. And, you know, I believe we all have that um, when it comes to worthiness. And that's, that's, that makes us who we are. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. <clears throat> I actually use something similar with my clients and I call them essence words. So five words that describe the essence of your being, of who you are. Mm -hmm. And, um, I always refer to them as a place for clients to refer back to as well, kind of recenter and like, see, this is who I am and this is what I bring to the world. And going back to your quote from high school about never enough is enough. Maybe that's enough. Um, mm -hmm. I love that idea because something that I often get with clients and also even with myself that I struggle with sometimes is this idea of, you know, it's kind of like the chicken or the egg. Like, am I going to believe that I'm worthy <laughs> once I do these things? Do mm -hmm. I believe I'm worthy beforehand? Um, is it good to have goals? Shouldn't I be happy with what I'm with, what I have all of that stuff. And like the mm -hmm. duality of it all being able to hold two things say. at once. Yeah. Yeah. Um, word. yeah. And I also encourage people to look at where are you choosing from, right? So if you're looking at never enough is enough because like you are consistently striving, you are consistently working on new goals, it's not a bad thing to want more, right? It's not a bad thing to want to achieve more, bring in more, whatever. That's not wrong. But if you're choosing it from a place of I'm not enough until, then right. that's where the problems start to come about. But if you're mm -hmm. choosing it from a place of, I am worthy of having this thing, I'm worthy mm -hmm. of having whatever I want on this earth, so I'm going to go get it, then that's a complete yeah. game changer. Right? Complete game changer. And that's what I'm coming from now. And um, 
I, I don't know if I've ever really taken that perspective myself, like the, the, the opposite, which is like, you know, I want to fill a void or I'm going to feel better once I get this. There's parts of me that has, but I've definitely seen that so much with my clients because some of the, so many of them are athletes and a lot of them have told me like when they reach that peak moment, like I had one guy become an all American, he was literally on the podium getting his medal and he's like, it didn't feel the way that I thought it would, mm. you know, I, it, it, it wasn't all I was chopped up to be. And I'm like, man, to work that hard to fill some sort of void that never gets filled. It's like, you're always working. And it's, that's the other, the other side of the coin of like, it's never really enough. Like you're never really going to feel whole, um, until you remind yourself that you are, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you have to do anything to prove that or, or be that, you know, you, you just are that if you choose it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That reminds me of, um, you know, I've been doing these dinners with men in Chicago and facilitating conversation with these men around the struggles that they're going through, the things they want to celebrate about themselves, all that stuff. And a common theme at every dinner so far has been this idea of success and this idea that success keeps feeling out of reach no matter what. And that you do just like that client of yours, like you achieve the thing that you thought would feel amazing and it still doesn't. And mm -hmm. when I asked them like, well, what does success actually look like? If you had to define it, what would it be? And they were like, I have no idea. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I don't even know. And so mm -hmm. it's so interesting how it's been ingrained in so many of us, particularly men, that success is the goal, but you don't even know what success looks like. Yeah. Especially as men. <laughs> well, I, I, why should I say, especially as men, I, all I have to say is like, I know exactly what that feels like, Yeah. you know, as a yeah. man, I really know what that feels like. Yeah. yeah. How does it show up for you or the men you work with? Um, yeah. How does this show up in your work with them? Hmm. Well, you know, I, I ask, I ask that question a lot. I say, I ask, I ask my clients to come up with, okay, where are you at right now in all these like 10 areas of your life? Maybe it's health, finances, you know, career, purpose, freedom. Um, how would you rate yourself one to 10? And then, you know, they come up with like scores anywhere from like two to like eight or nine. You don't get any 10s. You never, never get anybody at a 10. Um, but then I ask them, okay, what's in the gap between you being at a six to getting to a 10 and they can tell me a few things, but then when I ask them, okay, what's it going to feel like, or what's, what's it going to look like when you're at a 10 and they can never really tell me, you know, like they, they sort of can, like once I really ask them the question and keep asking them, but like for, at first, like I hear crickets, you know, cause they realize that they don't have a real authentic barometer for what success is. Cause you know, as men, we have barometers of um, what we see in movies. You know, if, if you ask a man where he learned how to be a man, most often you'll get like the answer of like, I learned from maybe my dad, right? Maybe my uncles, um, watching men in my life, maybe coaches, but quite often it's like movies, you know? Like that's the real man, like Superman or Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Um, 
you have all these people you look up to as kids and you grow up and I don't know, it doesn't really align, right? It's like, is, is, is success really like being big and bulky and violent and dangerous or is it being something else, you know? Is it being my own new version of that? And so I think success is more of a feeling. And so I like to ask my clients, okay, like it might look like this, but let's be real. You're not gonna be able to like pinpoint and say like, it's gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna be living in this house. You're gonna be making this amount of money, driving this car. Like you could put tangibles on it, right? You know, you wanna marry this supermodel. Like you can put tangibles on it all you want, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what, what it is. It matters how you feel. That's really what you're craving and what you're after. So feelings and sensations is what we're after. Like I want to wake up on fire every day. That's what success is. I want to make wake up excited about the day. I want to wake up in love with my partner. I want to wake up. Um, I want to go to bed at night feeling like I did a good jobs, you know, a good day's work. Like I, I, I made the world a better place. I impacted people's lives um, and I can breathe and rest easy. I think it's almost like a good barometer for success is how well I sleep, you know? Yeah. Good barometer. Because <laughs> um, that means that everything else in the, in the life wheel, all those categories is somewhere around a 10, you know? Mind you, maybe it's never a 10, maybe it's more like a nine and a half, but you, you get what I mean, you know? It's like, you, you know it when you feel it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that another element to that is, you know, when working with men to define what success looks like for them, it's also asking and having them question even themselves, okay, well, where does that come from? Where does that idea yeah. that that is what successful looks and feels like comes from, right? Yeah. That, that idea of making X amount of money, that idea of marrying a, a certain type of partner, um, working or not working, like where do those ideas actually come from? Because a lot of them just come from society, right? <laughs> I think mm -hmm. it still comes back to like, I think this is success because I've been told this is what success is. Right. I mean, it's, it's kind of the same fallacy. Like, some people think that making a six-figure salary is like the goal. Right. First off, like with the with the rate of inflation, like six figures is not going to be six figures anymore. You know. <laughs> Plus, like my six-figure feeling is going to be different than someone else's six-figure feeling. You know, right. because it, it has. That's the thing about success. I always I have this practice that I give my clients is like. We ha I have them create a measuring stick for how they're currently viewing their success. Like what, what is a measurement? And they write down all these things. Like I want, I want this car, I wanna make this amount of money, I want this and this. And then I ask them to, to literally break that in half. <laughs> and, and I ask them to make a new one and write down, all, like strip away all the things that aren't authentic to them, that they were given or they were programmed or came from society. Like really get authentic with it. What does that success really look like? And um, I'm gonna give away all my all my program experiences and stuff, but like you end up putting on that um, on that measuring stick more less tangible things and more essence things, more descriptors, things that represent who you are and the way that you feel, 
who you're embodying. That's really what we're after. You know, we, we could talk about that for, for hours. We could connect that to a million different personal development books and how powerful that idea is. It's not about what you're doing. It's about who you're becoming in the process, the habits that you start, the, the, the marathon you're going to run or, you know, the diet you're going to start. It's not about the diet or the marathon. It's about becoming a healthy person. It's about, it's about li living a long life. It's about becoming a grandmother or a granddad. You know, it's, it's about those things. It's not about, you know, I don't know, having a six pack abs necessarily yeah. for some people, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right? And I think that that goes back to what we were talking about earlier that like, um, that it's not one or the other ever either, because like so many people do think that okay, well, once I get those six pack abs, once I get that six figure job, yeah. once I have that partner, then I'll be happy. Then I'll have all the feelings that I want, but mm -hmm. that it never works that way. <laughs> it never, mm -hmm. ever works that way. And your being who you're being in the world actually attracts all of those things. So mm -hmm. it's just like you said about worthiness. It's about choosing, this is who I'm going to be in the world and everything else follows and they yeah. feed off of each other and I can hold space for both being and doing at the same time. But yeah. I truly believe that if you don't have the being, you can do everything that you want and you will not be successful. You will not get yeah. to where you want to go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the athlete I was telling you about who was on the podium, you know, winning the all American award, he's, he left the program saying, you know, I was running around with all grip you know, all grip. And I didn't have a reason for why I was doing what I, what I was doing. And now I'm able to relax. I'm able to let go. And that's a quality that I think a lot of men crave, but they don't know they want, you know? It's like, you know, you crave it, but you're not sure what you want for dinner kind of feeling, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you're hungry, but you're not sure what you want for dinner. And, um, I think men really want so badly to release that the stress ball of life and relax and surrender into the flow, which is, which is obviously the feminine, you know, you and I both know that, but if I put it more broadly for the men listening, like that's just like cutting yourself a break, dude, you know, like trusting that things will work out, trusting that people know how to, how to love you, you know, Trust that people know how to support you and, and be with you in the world and that you don't have to do everything. You could just communicate what you want, you know, and then things will happen, you know. Um, but so many guys are so caught up in the doing, it's like I'd rather do it myself than have anybody else involved. And that's that's the that's the saddest part, you know, because because as guys, we isolate far too often. And that's one of the bigger it's one of the biggest issues. Right. Um, that's why I'm so passionate about getting guys together. I know you are, too, like break bread together, you know, like get together. Let's talk about this stuff um, and break it down. Yeah, absolutely. And talk about real things, <laughs> mm -hmm. not, not just surface level, not just sports, not just what's going on in the world, but like actually what you're experiencing in your life. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. What is, what would you say is like the biggest obstacle that you find with guys who are working on healing and creating the lives that they want. What's one of the biggest obstacles that you see that men experience? Biggest obstacle right now is the fear of looking weird 
and looking bad. Mm. 100%. Yeah. I'm teaching this in a challenge right now. And it's, you know, it's a giveaway. It's a, I just spoiled it for some people. But the number one reason why men hold back their truth and refuse to live it is because they're letting the perception of what that's going to look like creep into their minds. So there's these ego conversations that we have, you know, like they keep us small, you know, and one of them is the fear of looking bad. Mm-hmm. It's this like fear of people's opinions, FOPO. And I think I, I categorize it into, into, for guys, I think there's three predominating narratives that go on in our heads. One is um, that we want to fit in. Um, we want to fit in with our peers. You know, we want to fit into society. We don't want to be an outsider. We'd rather, we, we want to make sure like we're part of the tribe. We're not kicked out of the tribe when we, we starve, right? That's an innate desire. There's also um, being a good boy is number two, being a good boy. Like, and I think that's where some of our more childish, more juvenile um, lack of maturity um, things come from, right? Like we're trying to be a good boy and we're really not stepping up, right? Um, and we're trying to please please mom or dad or please the teacher or please the boss sometimes, right? Um, and then the third is this concept of, um, sorry, what did I say so far? I said- Fit in, <laughs> good boy. I hope to cut this part out. So, so fit in, good boy. <laughs> fitting, fitting in, the good boy syndrome. And then the third is um, manning up. Mm. like man up that syndrome is the toxic syndrome of like stuff it down don't share Mm -hmm. it you know don't be emotional out in public you're going to be looked at as a wuss or the the p word you know what i mean (laughs) like right like don't be that right Mm -hmm. and so you know guys are thinking to themselves like it's not just one thing i'm worried about people thinking about me for expressing my truth being authentic being me it's, I don't want to be, you know, a bad boy. I want to fit in and I don't want to be called, you know, a wuss. I want to be a man. And those are what hold people back the most. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would assert that those are all related to each other as well. And yeah. studies actually show people have this, this misconstrued idea that testosterone makes men more aggressive and in studies actually show that there's no real link between aggression and testosterone. But what the link is, is that um, men, testosterone really drives men to want to be the best. It really is a uh, being accepted hormone. <laughs> it's really like the fitting in hormone pretty much. And those things like being a good boy and manning up all fall under that category. So when yeah. we train men to say like, you're going to be seen as the best, if you are the biggest, the toughest, the most violent, the person who can knock anyone down that's in their path, that's the way they express it in, in, in their lives. But if we teach men like, no, the way that you're going to be loved and accepted is by loving yourself, by loving Mm -hmm. others, by expressing Mm -hmm. your feelings, by being vulnerable, then that's how they would express their testosterone in their lives. That's true. That's true. And I, I also, I think it's worth saying that I, I think it's another case of, in my opinion, like 
it doesn't necessarily need to be this or that. I think this can be kind of one of those chicken or the egg scenarios where, you know, I, I think some guys want to go to the gym and feel strong so that they can feel more confident. They can feel more like themselves. Totally. Some people just need to work on the confidence and, and that'll lead to all the other things. Right. Um, but I think, um, I, I, I do think that some guys, um, I, 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 this kind of keeps like ringing in my ear in the back of my mind. Like, we should, as men, we want to be, um, we want to be be able to have the capability of violence, but restrain it. You know, like have the capability of being the protector when we need to. However, we need to have it, it's we need to have the restraint to know when to use it. It's a perfect uh, parable or phrase that says, um, "Never give a man a sword who can't dance." Mm-hmm. you know like yeah you wouldn't give a sword to a man who can't dance because <laughs> he doesn't know how to, how to use that sword or wield it in, in the proper direction in in an artistic way in a way that um is um intentional right yeah yeah the word that came to my mind is timing right of like when it's actually necessary, when, when it's mm-hmm. actually appropriate, or are you just doing it to do it because you can, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah. which is a really important um, thing to look at in a lot of skills and a lot of ways of being too. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm curious about this more though. You said that you think that most men want to know that they can be the protector, have that strength, have that ability, but not, um, but also have that control over it and know when to use it. Yeah. Where do you believe that that desire comes from? I, I think that that's a, that's an innate primal need or, um, a function of most men. Um, that's my belief. Like I, I think we, as the protectors, we just have, you know, as, as men, we have this protective nature, um, in our species. Right. Um, so if you, if you go back to tribal, tribal environments, um, the reason why we have the emotion anger is primarily to protect, to get big, to get ferocious and angry at something trying to come in and take our land, um, you know, take our, our, our loved ones, our, our, our women, our, our children, right? Like we are protecting ourselves and our loves. And that's why anger is necessary. Where anger also shows up, of course, is when we're kind of defending our ego sometimes, you know, which is sometimes where we see the more toxic forms of anger. Like when we're really sad, we express anger, we get pissed off. Like when we're really actually just upset or discouraged or, you know, hurt by somebody. Um, Or we we express anger when we're fearing something, we're afraid that something's going to go wrong, we get angry. Same thing can happen with shame if we feel embarrassed. You know, but but the reason I bring up anger is because it has this protective nature that is necessary, you know, for our own survival. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And, you know, I want to also point out for those listening that that's not even just exclusively to men, I'd say, like. Mm-hmm. all anger in humans essentially yeah. has this protective nature and um, yeah. stems from fear, right? Fear of someone taking that land or that person or, or, or whatever. Um, and then mm-hmm. fear with the ego. And I know that for me personally, I 
had a lot of shame around anger for my whole life as a woman. Um, I felt like my mom actually very explicitly um, reprimanded me for expressing anger. And it wasn't something that I, as a woman, was really allowed to do. And yet Mm -hmm. um, men get a pass (laughs) in our society. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, you know, Yes, I, I agree with you that that anger is like this primal thing that is that can be really good. And I, I don't relate to anger as being right or wrong. Now I have a really great relationship mm-hmm. with my anger. Um, and it can be expressed in really destructive ways, especially by men in our society. So I'm curious right. what um, methods, tools, things that you use and do with yourself and your clients to make sure that they are dancing with that sword and <laughs> things yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting. We're talking so much about anger. It's kind of natural because I'm in the middle of a challenge called the Find Your Fire Challenge. And it's, it's a five-day challenge where I give men access to that fire, which, you know, hint, hint, it's, it's a deeper, deep, it's usually your anger usually something you're really passionate about, something you're trying to protect so that that anger pops out. And a lot of guys, yes, are sort of told that you're supposed to suppress that anger or else it's, it's, it's bad. You'll, you'll obviously, we see, unfortunately, the consequences of men stuffing down their emotions, boiling up in violent acts and cries for help in, you know, violent deaths and all these different things. Right. But my, 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 my belief, my, my practice is all based off of this is that, you know, those violent acts, those angry attacks are all really from stuffed emotional traumas that haven't been addressed, that men have never been given the tools or been modeled or shown what it's like to be a man, Mm -hmm. you know? They've been shown that you're supposed to suppress it. And when we look at the war generations and what that produced, the baby boomers and trickling all the way down to us, you know, and Generation Z, we see a natural progression of people being much more empathetical and wanting more love and wanting more of their fathers. And, you know, um, we had an excuse back then. We had war. You know, you had to stuff it down so you could fight the war. We don't have as many excuses these days to not be empathetical or empathic, sorry, whatever the word is, <laughs> right? You know, we, and, and really something we don't have any excuses, the world is, is dying for it, like craving men's hearts. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. craving it. And the most successful, the most happy, the most joyful men are able to access all of their emotional experience. Um, because I, I believe, and I've seen it in so many guys, like you ask them how they're doing, they'll just say, you know, staying busy or, you know, I'm fine or I'm good. Right. That's a sign of a man that needs to cut loose a little bit. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that, that's a numbed out man who's either numbing out with work in the stress of work, numbing out with uh, beer, numbing out with sports, TV, Netflix, video games. That's a man who's not addressing what he, he's currently experiencing because he's told that it's wrong, right? And so I believe that uh, because anger is the most like accessible emotion for most men, it's usually seen as kind of like a primary emotion, even though it's not. Mm-hmm. I tell guys to go out and express some anger. So I, I give them the tools to 
empty the tank out once in a while, right? So I have some videos like this on my, on my socials where I show guys like what I do when I experience anger. I go out in my garage, I'm grateful enough, I'm grateful and I'm lucky enough to have a garage with pillows and like a, a bouldering pad that I can punch and like boxing gloves. And I, have, I can create a safe space for myself to go and do that. And every man can create that for themselves. They can go out in the woods, they can you know, go into um, a bedroom, right? They, they, they can grab a pillow, they can scream into it. Catharting and letting out that anger um, is such a powerful step because it, it usually opens up a pathway to what you're actually feeling which is way deeper than anger, just trying to protect yourself <clears throat> or protect your ego. It's actually more fear-based or sadness-based or something else. And so that's a number one tool is once in a while, just go and empty the tank. You know, like that's like a once a month ritual for me. If I'm ever feeling just a little stuck, I'll go and do it, you know? Um, but then Another thing, I, I, a nice tool I like to give men for more in the moment anger when we feel a little triggered um, by something is um, most of our triggers, well, that's kind of a generalization. It's often in disagreements or when we get angry about something, we experience, um, you've probably heard of Brene Brown or you've watched her stuff, right? You've heard of this right. concept of <laughs> stories we create in our head. There's a story I'm creating in my head about what's going on right now. And so I think if men can, can use that tool of knowing that, you know, if, if, if a girl leaves you unread for a night, you know, when you guys had a really good thing going and all of a sudden she leaves you unread and you want to get really mad at her, the reason you want to get mad at her is because you feel hurt and embarrassed mm -hmm. because you're creating the story that she doesn't like you and that she doesn't think you're important. You're creating all these stories that she's off with some other guy now and she's ghosted you yeah. or that you're not enough that you weren't good enough for her so there's all these like really unhelpful stories that, that some men create out of that unworthiness conversation unfortunately that result in anger yeah and so i love giving guys the tool of like what's the story you're creating in the situation what's the story you're creating right now about what's going on because as as human beings we have to fill the gap. We have to like, when, we, when we're in the dark, we have to look around us and be like, oh, that's, that's, that's a couch over there. That's not a monster, you know what I mean? Like we, we put labels on things when we don't know what they are, you know, so we feel safe. Sometimes those, those things are, mon like we, we call them monsters when they're really a couch, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to realize that we make stories up when we don't know what's there and if you're gonna make a story up, make one up that serves you, that actually serves your mission and what you believe about yourself, not what someone else might believe about you, right? So I don't know, flip that example on its head, like, oh, she's not the right one for me. She's, she's not a good match. Maybe she's, um, maybe, maybe she, you know, she got in an accident or maybe, you know, she got sick or maybe she lost her phone, maybe, something happened at work. There could be a million different reasons why she left Jen Red. Come on, dude, you know? Like, let's, let's, let's zoom out here a little bit. Um, <laughs> might not be about you. 
Yeah. So I would say yeah. nine times out of 10, it's not about you. I tell my clients <laughs> that all the time. <laughs> I don't care who you are. It doesn't matter. Nine times out of 10, it is not at all about you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And especially not about your worth, right? Or how right. lovable you are. Definitely not about either of those things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really love what you said there. And I really um, appreciate that you that you distinguish, um, the, the more, um, as you put it, emptying the tank version of expressing anger versus moment to moment, because Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of guys and a lot of male coaches that I've seen out there, the expressing anger physically is one of the go-tos that people like, go to immediately, but studies actually show that that can reinforce the idea that anger should be expressed violently. Mm-hmm. So I love that you use it sparingly and that it, mm-hmm. it is an opportunity, like, cause you can empower, you can express it through your body in something that looks violent, but is not violent. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, yeah. so I love that that sounds like exactly what you're doing and that it's not like the, every time you're angry, go out and punch something because that just right. reinforces a response. I love that right. in the moment you're having them look internally being like, okay, well, what, what's the source of this anger? Like where, what is the story that I'm telling myself and what are the other emotions that are attached to this story? Because mm-hmm. I think that men are, taught that anger is like the only acceptable emotion to express. Mm -hmm. And so they completely blind themselves to the fear, the sadness, the guilt, the shame that, Mm -hmm. that are underlying the anger. So I really appreciate um, that you have them look at both. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of different ways to process anger. You made a great point there. Um, One of my favorite teachers, Jason Wilson, um, he mostly will meditate through his anger. He'll let the energy, you know, emotions are energy in motion. And he will just allow the energy to move through his body. I think that takes a certain level of skill, you know, and, and a certain level of practice. But that's, that's absolutely a powerful way. And I've done that myself too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, body and meditative practices are just so powerful in general for anger. Cause like Mm -hmm. you can express it through your body, but instead like dance it out rather than punch something like it can still be this very like physical act. You can still go for a run. You can still like really um, like feel like, like literally touch your body and feel what your body's experiencing. Um, It can be jumping over things like whatever you need to do. It can still be very physical. Um, yeah. but doesn't have to be as like violent in nature as I think some people, um, think it mm-hmm. does when you're accessing yeah. your body. Yeah. I totally agree with that. I, I often, if I, if I ever just kind of feel stuck, I'll just like go put some music on and I'll start kind of moving. And then at some point I'll start kind of just like, you know, like animals shake things off. Yeah. That's a trauma like response that we do. It's, it's a, it's a response to avoid trauma. Actually, it's, it's, a, it's a response to, to, to get emotions out of our system, out of our body and fascia. So like literally just shaking, like just shaking your body like this, like the quote, shake it off. That's a, that's a quote for a reason, right? Like yeah. you can literally shake things out of your system. Um, and people in sports get that, but people in real life forget that they can do that. So just shake it off. It, it could just start as simply as just 
moving your body and shaking it. So yeah, I, I had the guys do that for two minutes today straight, maybe three minutes actually, just shake, just shake. And it, it, it turned into some, some good stuff. I love that. I love that you brought that up because I think the modern day interpretation of that phrase is like the man up version of it, right? Like the shake it off yeah. means like push through, get over it, man up, mm -hmm. come on. <laughs> but mm -hmm. you're like, no, literally shake out what you are feeling from your body. So yeah. it doesn't stay right. stagnant in there because it is not serving you by staying stagnant mm -hmm. in your body at mm -hmm. all. Mm -hmm. It's really right. cool. Allows you to choose a new moment, you know, see, this is a new moment and leave that behind. Right. I mean, yeah. You guys know what a deer, a deer in a headlight looks like, right? Like a deer will freeze in, in front of headlights, but then once they realize they're safe, the first thing they do is shake because they're like, oh, I don't have to be afraid anymore, right? I can let that go and I can move on. <laughs> yeah. So we all get to do that. We all do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit and go back to something that you actually said earlier. And um, you briefly said, you know, you and I know that – staying in the flow and, and being more relaxed and chill is a feminine energetic quality. Um, and as you also alluded to, not everyone out there is versed in that idea that feminine and masculine energies don't necessarily mean male or female person. It's very yeah. like we all have a little bit of both and, and there are different qualities to both and things like that. And I'm also curious about, um, you know, you at one point, uh, one time we were hanging out or talking or something like that expressed to me, like, you're like, yeah, like I've had people think I was gay because I have access to my feminine energy and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious, like, uh, I want to hear more about that experience as a man, um, especially an athlete and, a, a presenting like someone who presents as a very manly man. Um, yeah. so yeah, I'm just curious more about that experience and how that shows up for you in the world. Hmm. I haven't thought about that in a while. <laughs> um, but it's funny. Like I, I do have, um, I, I, I do still sort of get like looked at by, by gay men, um, or hit on essentially, um, in public or through social media. And it's, like I, I even got like someone booked like a consultation call with me for my business. And I swear he was trying to like get together. And I'm like, <laughs> this is a business call. Like you fill out an application. We're not talking about meeting up when you're in town. Like, are you, so it's, it's quite, it's quite annoying. Honestly, that's the first <laughs> thing that comes up. It's like, it's, it's quite annoying. It's, it's disruptive, you know? Um, it's, I feel like I'm getting a gist of like what it feels like to be a really attractive woman in the world and have guys hitting on you. Cause it's, there's a different energy when a guy hits on you, like girls aren't as likely, I would think, I think statistically there's probably some validation there. Like men do the hitting on, right. And you know, it's, it's awkward, you know, I, I, I don't enjoy it. Um, I don't know. Cause, cause I don't, I don't swing that way, you know? <laughs> and like, yeah. sometimes I'm with my girlfriend and it's like, she, we were just walking by these two, this, these two gay guys, like sitting at dinner and Tori's like, those guys were just like staring at you, like staring at you and now they're looking at your ass. Look, look. And I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> like, 
It feels like I'm being catcalled or something. It's messed up. Really? Yeah, it's messed up. Yeah. How does that um, observation that you have of how men are when they are physically attracted to someone, how does that play into the work that you do with men? Could you rephrase that? Say more? Yeah, totally. Um, so like as you've had the experience of being hit on by men and like you said, feeling like you have the experience of an attractive woman who's being hit on by men all the time or looked at by men all the time. Um, how has that, ex the, have, how have those experiences kind of shaped the way that you approach certain issues with men, if at all, because knowing that like there are aspects of men's beings that cause them oh. to be this way and cause them to act this way in the world. Like how does that show up in your work as well? Hmm. Well, the first thing that comes to mind, and I'm not sure if this is what you're alluding to, but I, I think the first thing that I think of is, um, you know, when I, when I was in high school, um, the term gay got thrown around if you were being emotional. Right. Totally. You know, you'd be called a fag, right? And um, I, I like, I, I hate that we even use those words back then. I didn't use them, but like guys would say it and we always just kind of brush it off, you know, because um, I don't know, it's, it definitely influences my work because the, the idea of being gay is definitely associated with emotionality, high levels of emotion, because most often in our experience as men, like we would see the sensitive guys come out as gay years later, right? Or you would always just get like this hunch that like, oh, they're, they're gay, right? And so um, there's this connotation around that that is very unhelpful in my work because there still is a complex with men that gay is wrong for some men and therefore emotions and being an emotionally intelligent man is wrong. So it's a massive barrier to everything I talk about. And sometimes when I talk about it, I'm like, oh, maybe, yeah, to your point, like people are either gonna think that I'm gay, like that macho guy in the corner, like doing his barbell curls is gonna think I'm gay because I'm talking about this. Or the gay guy that I walk by is gonna think that I'm gay, <laughs> like literally gay, right? So yeah, you, I, I feel I, this is a tough question. You know, it's it, it definitely influences how I support people because it's 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 in the back of my mind. Like they're thinking this too. All my clients are thinking the same thing. So I, I I try to make it as approachable as possible for guys to talk about this stuff and make it more normalized. You know, I try to be that example. Unfortunately, that leads to me getting hit on. But I'm okay with that. You know, it's all good. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. 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 Totally. No. Yeah. Thank you for answering that. It's, that's something that I come up against in my work as well, that it's this idea that anything emotional is inherently feminine or gay. And mm -hmm. as I said a little bit ago, you know, we, you and I both recognize that feminine is not 
bad for one thing and that feminine yeah. is also not exclusively for women. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm so I'm curious, like, as a man who gets mistaken for being gay sometimes or has worked through that fear of people potentially thinking that you're gay for being expressive, for being emotional, how did you work through it? And how did you get to this place where like, it doesn't bother you and it's okay. And you're confident in the way you are with it. Because I feel like a lot of men out there probably want to be, but still aren't. It's a great question. (laughs) I would love to like boil this down for all the men out there that are struggling with this. I would love to, I'm going to try. Um, I think I have a huge blessing in the fact that I was a two-sport Division One athlete. I am like society and cultures, like definition of a hetero man mm-hmm. because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a huge blessing. And so I think, I think there's part of my my psyche that believes that, like, oh, because I played two sports and I was this I was this big time athlete, that means that I'm more of a man, and I'm not. That it means that I'm hyper hetero essentially. And, um, I think that's, that's unfortunately part of it. So I, I can't, I can't go out there and give anybody that's listening to this, that ticket. Right. But I do think that that plays into it for me. Like just knowing that I am regarded, I don't know. Does that play into it? I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know. I, I think it really comes down to my comfortability in my sexuality. Like, I'm just, I'm just very comfortable with where I'm at. It doesn't bother me that guys would think that I'm gay. Um, it bothers me that they would hit on me. You know, I guess that's what it is. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm a little tongue twisted on this one. Yeah, no worries. I love it. I love the in the moment reflection because, um, like I said, I do think that a lot of guys do struggle with it and, you know, I, I of course don't personally know your journey in this aspect. And I would probably guess that a big part of it has to do with the fact that you have done a lot of work around things not being right or wrong, good or bad, right? <laughs> like that, yeah. like this idea of being feminine isn't wrong. This idea of being feminine isn't bad. It doesn't mean anything right. about your sexuality. Cause that's the other thing. Like people right. correlate that way of being to your sexuality when it actually means nothing. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, so. I mean, this is the easy side of the coin. That's easy for me to talk about. Like, yeah. Like I, I think just knowing deep down, like there's something deep down in my core that just knows that like being emotional is not a manly thing like something that only like men should not do i truly believe that it's like a superpower for men to be able to tap in their hearts and be able to be emotional not be like uncontrolling and unwielding with their emotions like that's not healthy for anybody that's, that doesn't get anything done right it doesn't do anything to like to dump your emotions on everybody around you and unfortunately a lot of people a lot of men sometimes do do that right but um if you can't identify with your emotions and be emotional at points, then you're missing out on all the information that those emotions have to teach you. Mm, yeah. Like the fact that you feel offended by something or the fact that you feel hurt that your buddy hasn't called you in a month or the fact that they ditched you for, 
for this girl or like, you know what I mean? Like all these like things that trigger anger. If you don't even realize that you're ashamed or you're sad or you're disappointed, you're just going to be angry at the world. Yeah. Right. And no one can do anything with anger. People don't respond well to anger. Your best friend's not going to be like, oh, well, he's angry at me, so I, I should probably go hang out with him. No one wants to do that. No. But if you did tell him that you're hurt by his choices because he went off with a, with a girl and ditched you, if you told him you're hurt, now he can actually, wow, he can, he can feel that. Right. You know? He doesn't get Absolutely. defensive by the anger. He can actually feel you, you know? And that's the vulnerable place that a lot of men aren't willing to go. But that's where, that's where it becomes a superpower in relating mm -hmm. in connecting. and connecting. We're in, we're in an age of humanity where connection is like the superpower. So if, if you can't, if you're leading with anger all the time and you can't connect with what's underneath that and share it with someone, I mean, our world is like screwed, <laughs> completely screwed, <laughs> completely. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing yeah. Done. I totally agree. And I love where you took that, that your emotions really are just showing you what your needs are, right? That, like you said, you're missing out on valuable information if you don't actually take the time to understand where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. And before we started recording, we were talking about this, but I think it, it's totally relevant uh, here as well that people can't hear you if the tone <laughs> is like inaccessible is if they can't yeah. penetrate the tone that you're using they only hear the tone that you're bringing before they hear the words that you're speaking and mm -hmm. so like you said like people can feel whether it's anger or hurt and they respond accordingly right <laughs> And right. so I think that's a really, really excellent point as well, that it's so vital to how we connect in the world. And um, if you don't actually know what you're experiencing, you can't express it to others either. You're right. And yeah, I, I think that's for me what helps me become just very confident in being able to express my emotions and share them. It's taken me a long time. Like it ha I haven't been this emotionally open around everyone in my life forever. Often it's actually still pretty hard in, some, from, in front of some people that are more used to me being like this kind of mute. Like I don't have an opinion. I don't have, you know, like emotions. I don't, I don't get angry. Like I don't get anything around some people. But so around those people, it's still hard for me. But it's I think the reason why I feel so confident in general around it is because I just know deep down that it's it's something that we all have. And we all have, like you said, our balance of masculine feminine qualities. Expression, emotional expression is a feminine quality. And I got that, you know, we all have that. Whether yeah. you decide to express it or not is up to you. Yeah, yeah. And I hear that you practice it too, right? Like it's not just something you were born with, you definitely practice it. And I'm also yeah. curious, um, 
you know, you pointed to, and when you first started talking about your story, you pointed to the, what you were seeing with athletes and, you know, violent crimes and transition from athlete to, um, regular life. And also like the high rate of suicides and things like that. And that that was a reason that kind of brought you into personal development and things like that. But I am curious for yourself and your personal life, like what, were the, what are, or were the, uh, big benefits that you see from being connected to your emotions and expressing your emotions that has really kept you in this space where you keep going in, you keep practicing, you keep spreading the word. How, what has that impact been on your life? Yeah, this might be unexpected for most men to hear, but, um, there's a lot of benefits I could go through the whole list, but I think the biggest thing, the core thing is that this work has allowed me, given me the ability to connect with men more intimately, more openly and honestly. Um, although I've really always been like a sensitive guy and I've always been on, on a lot of different teams, I've had a lot of different friends, the ones that I always connected the best with were the ones that were more emotionally available, you know? And there weren't many of those guys out there. And so if anything, I think this has taught me that um, I have a way of helping men become more emotionally available and more emotionally open, which is, it's my gift. I, I, can, I can do that professionally, but it's also given me the ability to meet, meet men where they're at in a way that helps me connect with more men. Because a lot of guys enter my space and, and um, my, you know, men's work in general, um, feeling like they can't trust men, feeling like they can't really trust them or somehow they've been like wronged by men in the past or like they cheated on their girlfriends or stuff like that, right? Like something happened along the way where they couldn't trust men. And that was, that was me in some, in some instances. And so a big part of it for me is like being able to trust men again by, mm -hmm. and for me, like trust comes from, I'm going to give you trust but part of it's earned, you know, like deep bond is earned. And I don't think you can really build trust. You know, most men know how to build trust by showing up for one another and doing things, but I'm a different kind of expression. I, I, I would rather someone be there for me emotionally and have my back than necessarily physically, you know? Yeah. 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 So. Awesome. That's such an interesting point. I hadn't really heard that before that, that mm -hmm. experience of not being able to trust men and being able to rebuild that trust. Mm -hmm. Really, really cool. That's awesome. huge. Yeah. Well, I feel like we could talk forever, but we are running out of time. So I want to wrap up with the last question that I ask everyone, uh, which is what does it mean to you to live your most fully expressed life? Hmm. I'm gonna pull from my from my my bank from this challenge. Actually, I just I I just condensed this. Um, for me, it's um, stepping up, opening up, and manning up. Hmm. And those all really encapsulate being who I am. Stepping up and taking the responsibility of like I'm stepping up. I'm I'm I'm, I'm being this. Um, I'm opening up, I'm opening up myself emotionally and I'm manning up by owning my identity and not being afraid to express it and share it and talk about it 
and be it. So that's what it means to me. Awesome. So cool. How can people find you, work with you, follow you, all the things? Yeah. Well, th this challenge is going so well that I'm going to run another one in a couple um, months, maybe a month. Um, so anyways, you can always find the challenge. It'll be on the website, thefindyourfirechallenge.com, thefindyourfirechallenge.com. Um, and then you can find me on Instagram, uh, my, my handle on Instagram and on TikTok and I think LinkedIn too. It's all Q Williams underscore. Um, find me there. Um, say hi, follow, shoot me a message. I'd love to talk to you and um, yeah, sign up for the Find Your Fire Challenge because we'll run it every couple of months. This thing's like building so much momentum and it's so much fun. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for all the work that you do with men in the world. And thank you for being here today. Thank you. Thanks, Christina. Thank you so much for listening to the Fully Expressed podcast. If you loved what you heard, please leave us a rating and a review. I'd love to hear what y'all think. And send this episode to a friend. Who in your life could benefit from hearing this conversation today? If you want to stay connected with me, please follow me on Instagram at Stina, S-T-I-N-A-E, Roland, R-O-W-L-A-N-D. Feel free to shoot me a message. I love connecting with y'all. Please tell me what you want to hear, what topics you want me to cover, and let's keep expanding and building this community of fully expressed people. 